Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. Welcome to Dan's Talks. My guest today on this podcast is with Lance Gums, who is the uh, Vice President for the Northeast Region of the National Congress of American Indians and a Shinnecock Indian born and raised in, on the reservation in Southampton. I guess a long-time friend of mine. And we're here to discuss, um, among other things, um, uh, the first landing of the uh, of the settlers way back when, and we'll get to that. But first, I wanted to mention something that he's just told me about, which is that on Tuesday, he was at the White House. Can you describe what that was all about? Oh, how you doing, Dan? Uh, it's nice to be on uh, Dan Talks. Appreciate you having me on. Tuesday, uh, I got an invite from uh, the White House, Dr. Jill Biden, uh, and it's the first Native American Heritage Month celebration that the White House has uh, ever held under any presidency. Uh, so it was really nice. Um, we had tribal leaders from all over the country that uh, were in attendance uh, for this inaugural event. and. They have promised to, uh, in this administration anyway, to continue to uh, acknowledge Native American Heritage Month. And, uh, you know, we're all hoping uh, as tribal leaders across the country that they will uh, continue this, you know, through future administrations. But it was, uh, it was a really nice event. Uh, Dr. Joe Biden came out and spoke to all of us, and then they had uh, Deb Highland there, who's the first Native American uh, Secretary of the Interior Department, and they also had uh, Chief Lynn Merlerba there. She is from the Mohegan tribe right up here in Connecticut, and if people don't know, um, they will know her soon because her name will be on all of the money printed in the United States here moving forward as she has been appointed the uh, first Native American treasurer of the United States. Her name will be on the money coming out uh, sometime in December here. So it's been uh, some exciting times in terms of Indian country as a whole uh, and the achievements that we are making. Uh, what do we know about the first landing? There's a big boulder up in Conscience Point in the North Sea where the settlers came from Lynn, Massachusetts in a sailboat and came ashore in June of 1640. And they were met by uh, the uh, Shinnecock Indians. What happened? Well, they were met by a group of uh, Shinnecock people. Uh, this wasn't the first time that we had seen people that didn't look like us, so to speak. But this was the first time where they actually landed on shore uh, down at Conscious Point. From there, our people welcomed them in. Uh, I don't know how great that is in modern times now, but we welcomed the first immigrants uh, to this land here. 
and we uh, helped them out. Um, we eventually ended up giving them eight square miles of land, uh, which is now the village of Southampton. Um, but during that time period, they didn't know much about surviving on the land, and so we helped them uh, and showed them how to uh, have shelter for the winter and provided them with uh, the essentials, taught them how to grow uh, what we call the three sisters, the bean, the corn, and the squash. And it was, uh, it was a new beginning um, for all of us, um, if you want to look at it like that. It was a new beginning for us as, as tribal people, uh, and it was a new beginning for them coming down from Lynn, Massachusetts, as you said. They, were, they had left Lynn, Massachusetts uh, to escape religious persecution and had come here to look for a new beginning. And uh, I think that we all found new beginnings from that point on. This time of year is uh, celebrated the first, one of the first dinners that was held, which was Thanksgiving dinner, but the friendship with the, uh, particularly in New England, I think was uh, how things played out. For that and then uh, things didn't go too well after that as uh, we all know and uh i think you could describe you know a little, a little bit of how uh, how the indians did become so uh, isolated and brought to what where they were simply on reservations how'd that come about well i think it was a clash of cultures you know you had uh the whole notion started with the manifest destiny and the doctrine of discovery, which came out of out of Rome. And basically it said that if you were not a Christian or had Christian beliefs, then you could have your land taken and you could be enslaved and taught the Christian values and the doctrine of discovery most recently has come up um, with the boarding school issues all across the country where our children were taken and put in these boarding schools. Um, and the, the, the premise of that was to uh, kill the Indian to save the man. And that has been not just here in the United States, though. That's been a worldwide doctrine uh, out of the Catholic Church. and. From that, that manifestation, we didn't have the concept of owning land. Uh, our concept is, as indigenous people of this land here was shared land. So we didn't quite understand this notion of um, fencing in land, uh, having these borders. And it was a different way that was brought to us. And that's where the clash of cultures started. When you talk about the, the, this, this dinner that happened, the dinner didn't happen. Actually, the Thanksgiving holiday is actually a recent holiday um, that was done, but there was a, a sharing with the Wampanoag people up on Cape Cod. Uh, there was no turkey. Uh, there were some of these things that have been said, you know, are just not true and, and history you know, has made it out to seem like there was this wonderful time and there was sharing. 
Now there was a sharing, and again, it was very similar to what happened here with us in Conscious Point, where we showed them how to survive through the winter and how to 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 grow these these vegetables and to live off the the, the water. Most of us on uh, coastal tribes were what's called first contact tribes, and most of the first contact tribes from New England down um, here to Long Island and down into Virginia all had the same types of interactions. And it was, you know, our lack of understanding of the European model of land ownership. Um, And that's sort of what caused the, you know, the majority of the conflicts that uh, transpired throughout the, the, the coming years after first contact. There was just a lack of understanding of us owning land. It was yeah. wide open. It was free. You take what you want. You live on it for a while. And here, like, you know, in our area here, up in this, especially our sacred Shinnecock Hills, which we've been fighting since, since the beginning of first contact to maintain. We had settlements and encampments all through the Shinnecock Hills here, all up through the National Golf Course, the Shinnecock Hills Golf Course, uh, where the college is located. We had these encampments and you moved uh, around and it was just a, it was a different lifestyle. And that's what happened. It was it was a clash of lifestyles that uh, led to the Indian Wars and the conflicts and eventually uh are people being put onto you know these reservations in the beginning you know it was good it was just us meeting a a new group of people but uh it was a different uh different way of life and it led to the outcome that we have today with us fighting to maintain our identity our traditions our culture our history and uh, to maintaining our, our land bases. Well, uh, legally at this point, the uh, uh, Indian Indian tribes are considered to be separate nations from the United States. But you are sort of dual citizenships. You're certainly a citizen of the United States, and uh, of of uh, and this has this created a lot of problems, uh, which. Uh, also became opportunity in more recent times, I think. And there have been some developments uh, in the last 20, 20 years, 30 years, well, many of which you were very uh, much in the forefront of. And I, I wanted to ask you to describe things that happened in, since you were young. And, and uh, I, I recall you moving a lot of uh, activities from being very secretive on the reservation to out front and combative that resulted in many advances. What were some of them? We were trying to protect ourselves when you mentioned that, you know, the part about being secretive. Uh, it was more of a protection mode, trying to keep our, our culture and our traditions alive. And that resulted in us being very uh, skeptical of the, what we call the outside world. You know, internally here, we had our community and we have everything in our community that, you know, a regular government has when you, when you talk about, uh, the government to government relations. 
you know, we have our, our health clinic, our dental clinic, we have our daycare center, uh, we have our seniors program, we have to, we have our, uh, after school education programs. I mean, we have all of these programs here that we've, um, maintained, you know, throughout the, the, uh, the time, but it was all internal. And, um, when we, I guess you would say the younger generation, when we started looking at the opportunities out there, uh, one of them was looking at the fact that we were not a federally recognized tribe. We were a state recognized tribe. And so we didn't have the financial benefits of federal recognition that federal recognition brings. And we had started that, uh, back in 1978. Yeah. Uh, we found out we had gone for a land claim for, uh, lands around us here in the, in the, in the early seventies. And there were tribes uh, up in Maine who were reacquiring lands. And we looked at that and we knew that, um, this 3,900 acres here from the canal all the way down here to the village line at Tuckahoe, uh, Tuckahoe Road had been stolen from us illegally in 1859 um, to build a railroad out here from the city. And it was in violation of the Non-Intercourse Act. And so we decided that we were going to try to get some of this land back that had not been developed yet. And when we went to do that, uh, we were told by the federal government that we were not on any recognized list. Now, we had been up to the 50s, but as we all know, the 50s um, was the termination era where they had started to terminate tribes uh, through acts of Congress. However, Shinnecock uh, had never been terminated by an act of Congress. So we had just somehow disappeared off the Fed's list. So in 1978... When did the, uh, when did the uh, recognition from the federal government take place? I, I remember it with you. I think I was with you when we learned about it. Well, that's, that's what happened from 1978 a process that was supposed to take two years. Uh, so we should have technically been recognized in 1980-81. That process took us 32 years, which is unheard of. But it's a federal government process, and we were federally recognized or acknowledged. I don't like to say recognized. <laughs> we were federally acknowledged uh, once again on uh, October 1st in 2010. Um, but that was a 32-year process. Literally, that according to the regs, the rules and regs of the federal government should have taken two years. But what that has afforded us is to now have the the weight of the federal government behind um, behind us, and it also gives us access to the trust responsibility that the federal government has to all of the 574 federally recognized tribes now that are in existence. And what that means is that we have access now to the program dollars that have been allocated uh, for tribes under this trust responsibility. You know, a lot of people think that we just get things for free and we go to college for free. I heard that all my life. Oh, you guys go to college for free. You get this for free. That's not true. Um, that's one of those false notions that has been put out there. We don't get anything for free. What the trust responsibility is, is just the repatriations for the millions and millions and millions of acres that the federal government stole. 
from us throughout the from first contact to to now. Well, you so, you told me the other day that there's thinking in the wind of changing the relationship between the tribes uh, as a as as, as a, uh, a group uh, and the uh, federal government, and that this may not be a good idea, or it may be a good idea. I don't know whether how how it may happen or if it well. May- yeah, that's that's this case that's before the Supreme Court right now, the ICWA case, which is the Indian Child Welfare Act. And that actually is that came out of the boarding school era that I talked about earlier, uh, where they were taking our children and putting them in these boarding schools. Um, and the, and Congress finally saw that that was stripping our our communities uh, of our children. And, you know, if you do that for a certain amount of time where our children don't have the identity, don't know who they are, then there's no more Indian communities. And so Congress enacted this um, over 40 plus years ago to protect Indian children from being taken off of communities. There's a case called the Brackeen case, and it is right now before the Supreme Court. There was a big protest last week, but that case has the ability to flip Indian law on its head because right now they're making the claim that we are race-based people versus political. The Constitution of the United States has us written into the Constitution. It says that Congress has plenary power over foreign governments, states, and Indian tribes. So we are governments um, within the state of New York, within the federal government, we are separate um, and equal governments to the states uh, under the eyes of the federal government. And what this case could potentially do if we are now, if Congress rule, I mean, not Congress, if the courts, if the Supreme Court rules that we're a race-based, it changes the whole dynamics from political structure to now being a race base, but there's no other race of people in the United States right now, black, Chinese, uh, Jewish, anyone that is written into the constitution except the American Indian, Native Americans. We're the only one. So we're not a race-based group. We are a political group. And uh, this court case will ultimately uh, have some real effects um, everything that we do from land acquisition to funding to everything, if they rule um, that now all of a sudden after 400 plus years, now we're a race-based group. So it's a case that we're all watching all across Indian country uh, that may have great ramifications moving forward. Thank you for being the guest on the podcast today. And I, I wish you the best. And I'll, I'll see you soon, I hope. And uh, Thank you. we'll uh, talk soon. So thanks for the time. Thank you. Uh, yes, we just celebrated our Nunawa uh, celebration Thursday night, which is our Thanksgiving. And uh, you missed it. You usually uh, are there, but we didn't have it in person again this year. Oh. Um, so oh. you will be invited again. You've always come, and uh, we've always appreciated having you there. So uh, thank you for having me on your show, and uh, we'll talk soon. Sure. Oh, my God.